series, Trust the Process, which is all about progressive sanctification, the process by which God uses and invites us to take part in that moves us from immaturity and when we're first saved, or even if we've been saved for a while but haven't grown, moves us from an immature state to being a mature Christian. And we introduced that a couple weeks ago. Last week was technically part one as we looked at, and you have that chart there on your, on your page, on the back of it there. We looked at the foundation, and today, Lord willing, we'll cover the middle part, which is the hard work. The exertion is what we're calling it. Uh, let's look at our key verse found in 2 Peter 1, 5 and 6. It says this, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, verse 6, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. Let's uh, just say a word of prayer, ask the Lord to bless our time. And then we'll jump into these, uh, this, this hard work part of sanctification. Lord, thank you for your word. <clears throat> thank you for its truth that we can rest in and stand upon firmly. <clears throat> thank you for being willing to work in our hearts and make us more like your son. And uh, Lord, we do long for that, and yet we struggle with it. So <clears throat> I pray that as we build on the foundation that we looked at yesterday, uh, that we look at, as we look at these two uh, virtues of uh, self-control and perseverance, help us to be willing to listen and then be willing to put the hard work to exert ourselves spiritually so that we can continue to grow and help us to trust the process that you've given us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, on the back of your handout there is this chart we've been going through. Uh, last week, we talked about the foundation and so uh, if you weren't here last week or you didn't see it, I would encourage you to find that online. We're on uh, our, <clears throat> excuse me, our website, Facebook, uh, multiple other venues, YouTube. You can check it out and, and watch, watch that. And I, I just encourage you to do that if you haven't, just because it kind of lays the foundation for what we're going to build on today. And so today we're going to look at this um, middle part, which is labeled the hard work. This is the the exertion part of, of the sanctification process. And this is where things um, get difficult. And, and as I was thinking about this, as I was preparing, I thought, well, it's only difficult for those that aren't really interested in moving forward with their, with their sanctification process. But as I thought about it, I thought, no, actually the opposite is true. If you're a Christian, but you're not interested in growth, there is no hard work because you're not, you're not exerting yourself at all spiritually. The hard work is for those that want to grow in Christ, that have a desire to move on to the next level spiritually. And they're struggling with that and they see issues in their life and they want to change and they want to experience transformation and they're looking for ways to do that. And so if that describes you today, and I think it describes a lot of you, knowing a lot of you, um, then we need to be prepared to spiritually exert ourselves and to be prepared for the hard work it's going to take to move forward. So we're talking about self-control and perseverance. And as I was looking at this, I thought, man, there's only two items in this section. <clears throat> Is there going to be enough material for 45 minutes or so? Uh, <laughs> I hope that we can at least scratch the surface of these issues 
and engage with them enough to have at least a basic understanding and something that we can grasp hold and take with us as we go because they're much deeper, I found, than, <clears throat> than what I thought at first. So the first one is self-control. And it's an interesting word, and I want to define our terms, and I want to think through what these things mean, and then understand it, of course, from the Bible's perspective. And that's the first part of the verse here. Um, Actually, yeah, the, the first part of the verse, after he gets done with the foundation, he says, add to knowledge self-control. I put add in parentheses. It's not in the text, but if you remember from last week, that word is implied in every step of this process. It's a constant adding. Each of these eight virtues or qualities are not just separate little beads on a string. They're actually interconnected to one another, and each one builds on the next. And so if you don't have the foundation that he's asking us to have, go back to that, our foundation of faith, virtue, and knowledge, if you're not, if you're not pursuing those things and working with God to help those things be part of your life, you're not going to be able to jump from faith up to self-control and perseverance. There's, there's a building, there's a process um, that we have to go through. So we're adding to the knowledge that we talked about last week. We're adding to the knowledge that we're building on. And as we gain knowledge, and what is our source of knowledge? It's the word. This is our only source of this, this kind of knowledge that we're looking for. As we're gaining a knowledge, uh, the next step is this idea of self-control. So I have um, a definition, just a ba- basic one, dictionary definition. Self-control is an inner disposition or virtue that enables a Christian to restrain the flesh, that's our sin nature, that always wants to sin. So self-control enables a Christian to restrain the flesh in order to concentrate on higher goals. And so we can see that, understand that, but I want to ask a question for you, and I'd like you to answer, who is supposed to be in charge of our lives? God. So as we look at this phrase or this, this word, really, compound word, self-control, and some of you probably have great answers for this already, so bear with us here. And I ask this rhetorically, just think about this. Why is it called, and the Bible calls it this, self-control if God is supposed to be the one that's in control? And just, just ponder that and think about it. And like I said, you probably already have your answer. Many of you do. But let's look and work through this biblically to see what God's word has to say about self-control. And then we'll, we'll draw our conclusions from that. Uh, for example, Psalm 39.1. Notice it says, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. So notice that the psalmist is declaring his intention to guard and restrain his words. That's what this psalm is about. It's about self-control of the tongue, self-control of the words that come out of our mouth. But notice, it doesn't say God will guard or restrain. He's purposing and in being intentional that he will do this. James speaks to the same issue. In 119, first of all, <clears throat> so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to wrath. So the tongue and the emotions are to be kept in check. James revisits the tongue in chapter 3. And remember, he talks about the, the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder of the ship. They're the small little things, but they control uh, something much bigger. And he says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, not perfect as in sinless, but a mature man or woman, able also to bridle the whole body. So James is saying when there's self-control with the mouth, it's, it's the, actually the most difficult of our members. Oh, thank you. I did have water, but thank you. This is colder. Um, <clears throat> it's the most difficult of our members to control. And if we can control our mouth, we can control anything. But notice that we are in control. But we said God is supposed to be in control. So how do we balance this out? Proverbs talks a lot about these types of things. In 1632, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So the Bible's book on wisdom is saying that a person must learn to rule their own spirit. That sounds like someone that's in charge of their own spirit. Or is God in charge of their spirit? Well, I think the very best understanding of self-control is found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the, the fruit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I believe love is the fruit, and all these other things flow out of it because you can't have joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., without love. But he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And I think I put this on your, on your notes already, so you already know where we were going. It's best to understand self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of a human person. Self-control does not come from you. It is not a fruit of, of an individual, <clears throat> not even of a believer. We can't claim that self-control is a fruit of us because the Bible is very clear that it is the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from him. So for the mature Christian or the one that's trying to grow and be more mature, self-control is more about how we give control over to the Holy Spirit than how much we actually control ourselves. So it's a passive choice for us. We often think of self-control as I've got to make this decision for myself and I'm in control of life. But actually, according to Scripture, it's, about, uh, it's a passive choice to hand the controls, to take our hands off of them, hand them over to the Holy Spirit, and submit to come under his authority in our lives. I think sometimes, and I've... I'm just speaking for myself. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Pastor spent some time talking about this morning. Where does he dwell? Inside of us. And I think the temptation is to view him because we know he's in us as he's just along for the ride and this is my life to live. And I, 
I think that's the, the danger that we can assume that he's just along for whatever we're going to do. And we often, and this has been probably the most, one of the most convicting um, lessons to prepare for because as I began to examine this, I kept coming up with things in my life that I can't say I have ever asked the Spirit to weigh in on, much less given him control over. And I think if we were all honest with ourselves and we all did a real honest evaluation, not a self-evaluation, but using scripture as our mirror, as James says, we would conclude that there's always gonna be, and hopefully less as we grow in Christ, but there are things that we have not given him authority over. And that's why we're saying that self-control is really biblically spirit control. Is the Holy Spirit your authority? Well, he is your authority, but do you see him as that? We're choosing to turn over the authority from us to him. And the more we choose to do that, and we can look at our life and all the different areas of our life, the more we choose to give the spirit control, the more mature we become in Christ. And the farther along in our journey of progressive sanctification we travel. But this is not easy. This does not come easy to us. We're still battling our flesh. We're still battling our sin nature that constantly tells us that we're in charge and that we've got, we've got to figure this thing out. It's hard work to remember to stay constantly aware of the Spirit's presence in our lives every single day and every single moment and everything because we get busy because we're, we've got a, you know, when I, when I got ready for the, the class, I went back to the computer and I started the, the slides and I got the microphone and I, I got my, my notes out and things and I was trying some different things with the iPad to try to control the slides in a different way and it didn't work. So I was, I was all busy doing, doing all this busy work, but I, you know, and it's just an example, not that I was trying to ignore the Holy Spirit, but in that case, but we often do that with everything in our lives. And that, that was the thing that I was convicted about was that, well, I've got these different stressors in my life and I've got anxiety about different issues. And I've got, you know, as a dad, I've got issues there. I'm a husband, I'm an employee. So I've got all these compartments of my life and how many of them have I actually brought the Holy Spirit into and offered it up to him and just lived life with open hands and said, Lord, Holy Spirit, you're my authority. Um, we often see Christ as the son and the father. You know, they, the, he's, where is Jesus right now? Sitting on the right hand of the father, right? So they, they, they are ruling in this co-regency of the universe. There's this throne, this double throne that's set up in, in heaven right now with the Father and the Son as co-regents of the universe. And we think about the throne room of heaven that John went to. And we think about the other descriptions in the Old Testament that some of the prophets saw, like Isaiah and Ezekiel. And we think, the majesty of God. But what about the Spirit? Is he not also equal in authority and in deity and in power and in regency 
and supremacy over us? He is. Sometimes we fail to see him that way. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled. This is a command. In other words, it's possible to not be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's indwelling us, but this filling is something different. This filling means he is in charge of, of everything. You've seen a drunk. We, we would say someone that's drunk is under the what? The influence, the influence of what? Alcohol. That's what Paul's saying, this, but the spirit doesn't make us stagger, right? He makes us step forward and, and move forward and grow in Christ. He does some, some amazing things in our life. But he's saying, let the spirit completely come under the spirit's influence in every part of your life. We're to be, and if I can say this without being disrespectful, drunk on the spirit in a sense, completely under his influence. I also want to say this, that self-control, and I think this, this has helped me put some handles on this because, we okay, we understand the Spirit. We're supposed to submit to Him. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But I want to be able to grasp that practically. And I believe that according to Scripture, self-control is really appealing to a higher authority. It's appealing to the higher authority. So we've got our flesh, right? Our flesh, we're tempted with sin. The flesh is like, do it. Yes. Don't worry about anything. No one's going to find out. It's good. It doesn't matter what God says. Forget the word. Just do it. Do it. Sin, sin. Disobey, disobey, rebel. That's what the flesh is doing constantly. Romans 7. Go back and read that. It's Paul's example of flesh versus spirit. The flesh is constantly saying, just do it. Just sin. Just have pleasure. It doesn't matter. No one's going to find out. But when we are living in self-control, which is spirit control, we can say to the flesh, no can do. My authority is watching me and I want to obey him and please him. So I won't be doing that. It's like two little children at the playground. One has wandered from his mother's gaze. The other's there and his mother's right there on the bench watching. And the first one says, hey, let's throw rocks at those girls or let's do something that we're not supposed to. And that second boy looks over and there's mom right there watching. He said, I can't do that. My mom's right there. <laughs> and um, I, I realize that there's, we should be you know, more virtuous than that. But what's wrong with, what's wrong with doing that with, in, in, in applying that to the spirit? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes what the flesh says to do, we would really like to do. I'd really like to lose my temper because this person ticked me off and I'm, I want to rip into them. Or I want to follow that lustful thought to wherever it leads or I want to whatever. There's nothing wrong with appealing to the higher authority just like that child went on the playground saying, yeah, but the Holy Spirit's watching. If he's indwelling me, he sees everything my eyes see. He goes everywhere my body goes. He listens to everything I listen to. I think the best example of this, oh, I didn't have it. I, the verse is here, but it's found in Genesis 39. Maybe it's not the best, but it's, it's one of my favorite examples. 
I'm just going to read a few verses. You can turn there if you want to. Genesis 39, I'm going to start in verse 7. So here's Joseph. He's been sold into slavery. A man named Potiphar buys him and puts him to work in his house, realizes he's quite an asset. He's wise. He's careful. He's a good leader. He's a good administrator. So he puts him in charge of everything in the house, well, almost everything. And Potiphar has a wife who is a seductress. This is not a nice uh, moral woman, very immoral. Let's start in verse 7 of Genesis 39. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Pretty brazen statement. Come and get in bed with me, and let's have an immoral relationship. I would venture to guess that her um, fashion choices matched her words. She, she was trying to seduce Joseph sexually. Verse 8, but he refused. Notice his refusal. He refused and said to his master's wife, look. I like how he starts, look. <laughs> My master does not know what is with me in the house. He has so left all the administration to me that he doesn't even know what's going on around here. He comes in and eats and that's it. I'm running this house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. He is my higher authority and I'm responsible to him He says in verse 9, there is no one greater in this house than I. He was the CEO of the company. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph does not just appeal to one higher authority. He appeals to two who was the first higher authority he appealed to? Well, the first one was, Pot- I heard both. Potiphar was the first one. He says, Potiphar's put me in charge, but he is still the master, and I'm responsible to him, and so me spending any time with you in this inappropriate relationship, it, it's gonna go against his authority. And he didn't give me you, he gave me everything but you, so you're not part of of my job description. So he's my higher authority. Now who is the second higher authority? It was to God. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph understood what we need to understand. Did he have the Holy Spirit indwelling him? Not necessarily. Perhaps... um, times when he was interpreting dreams, and I, the Bible doesn't say, so we're speculating a little bit. Um, I'm going to come back to Mike over there in a minute. But he didn't have the constant indwelling, at least. I can say that with certainty of the Holy Spirit. I didn't have the Acts chapter 2. So, but yet he still understood that God is omnipresent and omniscient. God sees all. God knows all. And so if I go and lie with you, as you have requested, God is watching me and he is my higher authority. And I am appealing to him 
as my authority, therefore I cannot do this. Sometimes self-control and temptation, well, I should say it this way, sometimes temptation is so strong, we run out of excuses in our own human, human wisdom, if you will, to say no to that. Because the devil and our flesh love to pull away all the excuses. Well, somebody's going to find out, no, they're not, they're not going to, this is just, it doesn't really matter. And it's, it's, it's okay because you know that other people are struggling with this and it doesn't really, it's okay. The devil loves to pull away all those, those kinds of excuses for not sinning. And we, we're really good at rationalizing our own sinful choices, aren't we? So we can rationalize ourselves and talk ourselves into doing whatever the issue is. But we cannot rationalize away the authority of the Holy Spirit. We can't change that or twist it. I mean, we can maybe try, I don't know. But really, there's no way to, to, to make that something it isn't other than just plain just contradicting God's word and saying, well, it's just not true. And if you're willing to do that, then we're probably dealing with a bigger issue. The Holy Spirit is our ultimate authority. Jesus the Son and God the Father are as well. But for the Christian, especially in the church age, with the constant indwelling in the Spirit, he is our ultimate authority. The Spirit is your and my authority. We must submit to him. When we do that, the fruit of self-control will grow in our lives. And just like the faith gives courage for the virtue and the virtue leads to knowledge, this knowledge, and that's what Joseph is using here as as part of his platform, his foundation for self-control. No one else was in the house. I just want to remind you of that. We didn't read all the verses. No one else was in the house. There was no servants. Potiphar wasn't home. It's, it's like the seductress in Proverbs when the young man walks by the corner of her house. She said, my husband's gone on a trip. I've perfumed my bed. I've paid my vows. I'm all prayed up. Come on in. This is very similar. But Joseph had some knowledge about God. What knowledge did he have? That God was omnipresent and omniscient and he, God, and that this was sin. He understood marriage between one man and one woman. There was not to be any intimate relationships outside of that. That's all knowledge. So Joseph's knowledge brought about, helped bring about his self-control. Mike. You, did I blow past? <laughs> okay. Oh, that's okay. We talk in here. It's okay. Great. Mark. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So if you... Yes. Yeah, so Mike is making the point out of Genesis 39, verse 3, that 
the master Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph because Joseph was living a righteous life before the Lord. Now, of all the situations where it would have been just easy to just let go of all that, it's Joseph's. Does he have any family around? Is his dad around? Is there any other Jewish people around at this point? Well, they... He is living in a completely foreign land. Does anyone know Joseph there? No. Of all the times it would have been easy to turn his back, plus what had just happened to him. His brothers had, had, a, had not just abandoned him, but had plotted to kill him and then sold him as a slave. Completely, figuratively stabbed him in the back. Of all the opportunities for bitterness to set in, which we see it did not set in, I love the story of Joseph, the account of Joseph. Or the opportunities to make excuses for lustful actions, Joseph had them. And yet he still, because of self-control, was able to do what was right. Mark. Yeah, all the words, um, control, authority, um, what's the other one? Influence. Yeah, influence. These are all words I'm using to describe the position of the Holy Spirit. Now, because of our free will, we can choose to grasp hold of the steering wheel of life, grasp hold of the controls, and do it ourselves. We can do that, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, I'll back off. He's, he's not a dictator. He doesn't come in and take over. Otherwise, would we, would we ever sin? We wouldn't because he's God and he can't sin. So if he took control of our lives just as a dictator, we, we wouldn't be struggling with sin and we wouldn't be talking about progressive sanctification today. I don't know what we'd be talking about. So yes, synonyms, yes. So, yeah. Yes. Righteousness is the Holy Spirit leads us towards righteousness. And um, just like if we're following someone through the store who has direction, well, I think I know a better route. We can choose which sure. direction to go. Sure. So it's, it's the process of mindset of being led by the Spirit. Yes. Just reading us all the time. Yes. Brad's talking about being led by the Spirit. So he's, and like you said, he's always, now he does take his hands off in things. And we can, the Bible talks about quenching the Spirit, right? Um, and, and, and pushing him to the side. But he's always leading us, as Brad said, toward righteousness. So it's a, it's a matter of are you willing to follow where he's leading? Or like if you're driving and somebody's going a certain way and you know a shortcut or you think you do, and you cut across and then you're lost, um, which is what happens spiritually to us when we don't follow the spirit. So self-control, it's really about our submission to the Spirit. Let's look quickly at perseverance. It's in those, the last part of, or the next part of verse six. So we're adding to knowledge self-control and we're adding to self-control perseverance. It's the second part of the hard work section. So the little definition here, um, this comes out of a, le- a lexicon resource. Uh, perseverance 
is the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. It's also known as patience, endurance, fortitude, and steadfastness. Much like self-control, remember, that's hard work to remember, to keep following the Spirit in every part of our life because we're, we're planners and we're doers and we want to do things. It's also hard work to persevere. And I don't think I need to explain that as much, but it's hard to persevere. Uh, this word is found 32 times that I could see, at least 32 times in the New Testament. It's translated patience, at least in the New King James, the majority of these times. Also, perseverance like it is here, and also the word endurance is used. And it's such an important part of our sanctification process. We've been calling it trust the process. And I want to think about that word process for a moment as we think about perseverance. So we look at the goal. If you look at your chart on the back, what's the last section called? The what? The payoff. This is what we're going for. This is the goals, okay, that, that we're trying to reach. And when we look at that, we, we can become discouraged because of all the failure that we experience in our life. Because we look at those, and I don't have them in front of me, the God, uh, brotherly love is on there, right? Godliness and love, I think. What, what are the three? I don't have them memorized. What's the first one? Godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Is anyone really good at all of those three all the time? I mean, maybe some people are, but I'm not. And so as we look at that, it's easy to become discouraged. I'm so glad that perseverance is, is in this section. A sense of failure, the sense of neediness is all throughout the Psalms. So many of the Psalms speak to this. In Psalm 28, 1, the psalmist says, To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent unto me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Lord, unless you answer me, and I can get answers from all kinds of places. I can go, I can go anywhere on the internet. I can go to talk to any other people. But Lord, unless you answer me, I'm going to die. You are the source of my life. I really like this quote. I was reading an article about perseverance. David Paulson is with the Lord now. He's a um, uh, man that was involved heavily in uh, the Christian counseling uh, ministries and things. And again, every time I bring up a human author, I say, I like to say, this is not an endorsement of everything David Paulson believes or teaches, but I really like what he says here. If sanctification means becoming like Christ and does it, yes, does, then the way we struggle is as much a part of our sanctification as some idealized image of what we hope we will become. Now, what we hope we will become is the payoff on our chart. But we are all in different stages of the process, and what he's saying here, and what I believe the Bible speaks to, is that the process is just as important as the goal. So often, when we think of the word perseverance, we picture ourselves gritting our teeth, white knuckle grip, head down, nose to the grindstone, and just keep going. 
And it's, it's a painful thing to think of perseverance. And perseverance certainly can contain those things. Those things are, are or can be part of perseverance, but biblically it's so much more than that. The journey is just as important as the destination. And we need to be able to embrace that fact of both failure and success and learn from both to keep moving forward. We need to learn to live in the moment where we are today and ask what is God trying to teach me right now through this issue or this problem. We need to embrace the long, agonizingly slow process that God is leading us through. The progressive sanctification process is a slow process. Now, some people do mature. Pastor mentioned this in the message this morning. Some people do mature faster than others. But at some point, everyone hits a dry spell. Everyone hits a wall or a time in their life spiritually where they're, they're sinking a bit. They're frustrated. They're, they're, they seem to be stopped. That's why we need perseverance. I like to refer to this as God's waiting room. Anybody ever spend time in a waiting room? What do you do in a waiting room? You wait. You might read a magazine. You might look at your phone. But it's 1147, and I had an 1130 appointment, and no one's walked out that door and said my name yet, which is almost always locked from the other side. Can you get up in the waiting room and go open that door and walk down and demand the doctor see you when you want him to or her to? It doesn't happen, does it? You have to wait till they open that door and say, Josh Steele, or whatever your name is, to go back there. Sometimes God puts us in the waiting room spiritually. And we think, I, I really want to get better at these things. And God is saying, I'm teaching you something right now in the situation that you are in today. In the progressive sanctification process, we're waiting for God to do something. Lord, can you just fix me? <laughs> Sick of the struggle. He's, we're waiting for him to grow us and change us. We're, what we're waiting for is transformation. How many like the idea of transformation? Isn't that a great word? It's such a great word. We, we, <laughs> we desire that. But it rarely happens as quickly as we would like it to. We often see more of our failures than victories. And we struggle with that, of course. Nobody likes to fail. But we need to be honest with ourselves in the struggle to admit our neediness. That's what the Psalms are, many of them are all about, is coming to grips with the fact, and how long did David spend in the waiting room running from Saul? He was anointed before he ever killed Goliath. Joseph as well. Years and decades go by, but God anointed him way back then, and how long does it take? And he doesn't even get to Jerusalem at first before he finally becomes his crowned king of, of Israel. So we need to choose to live in the moment. There are particular, again, going back to Paulson, there are particular kinds of growth and strength that may be happening in our lives that we don't even see. 
I don't like where I am right now. Well, in a sense, that's good. Because if you don't like where you are spiritually, that means that you're seeing the issues for what they are and you want to improve spiritually. And that's a good thing. But sometimes God is working and doing things that we're not aware of in our lives. He's always working. That's what Philippians 1.6 is about, being confident. Yeah, but it doesn't really look like God's doing anything. It doesn't matter. We can still be confident. Remember, knowledge. Here's knowledge that adds to self-control, which adds to perseverance. Being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a, God is constantly working. Even if you don't feel like you're moving forward spiritually, God is at work in your life. And it's important that we know this. This is where we need to rely on our self-control, which relies on knowledge, relies on virtue, relies on faith. So while we're in the waiting room, sometimes we're in there so that we can spend a little bit of time looking back at what God has done, where he's brought us so far. Perseverance is also tied to love. Look at these words in in, um, 1 Corinthians 13. What does love do? It bears all things, believes, hopes, and endures. All four of those words are not things that are enjoyed in the present tense. All four of these words are look, look forward to the future. So sometimes our perseverance isn't with our own failures. Sometimes, and maybe oftentimes, our perseverance needs to be um, put to work with the failures of others, the people around us. But if we truly love them, we're not going to focus on their failure because we're going to be willing to bear with them, put up with them. We're really willing to believe that God is going to continue to work in their life. We're going to be willing to have hope, which is a confident expectation of God working. We're going to be willing to endure them and their failures for a season because we know God is, is at work. Love never fails. Sometimes perseverance is, needs to be put to work with others because sometimes God is using other people to help us along in our sanctification journey. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. This gets used a lot in men's ministry. In fact, at our men's breakfast, those of you who were there, I, this first got used. Somebody said it. I don't know if Richard said it or Pastor Rich or the speaker said it. Somebody used it. But it's, it's, it's not just for men. It's for everybody. Iron sharpening iron. If you think about the sharpening of a blade or an axe head or something, metal comes up against metal, that sharpening, that's not a gentle process, is it? There's a great deal of friction. There's friction that produces heat, and the heat causes sparks to fly at times. Does that sound like any people in your life that you've come up against? They're abrasive. We think about that. When the blade is sharpened, what's happening to that blade? Do you know, it, and I know you, you probably know, you, you probably know this, but I'm just going to say it anyway for, to make the point. When any blade is sharpened, we have to realize in order to sharpen a dull blade, you have to remove some material from the blade to get it sharp. 
Those sparks are the heated metal coming off the blade. It's becoming less. It's becoming a little bit smaller. And if, if any of you guys, or maybe ladies, carry a pocket knife or have a little knife in your purse or something, and you sharpen that regularly, after a few years of use, that blade is no longer the same size as it was when you bought it at the store or received it as a gift or whatever. The blade becomes smaller because over time you're sharpening and sharpening. Maybe, maybe you have a favorite kitchen knife or, or something like that, and you've sharpened and sharpened and sharpened, and after a few years you look at that thing and go, man, that thing is not the same size as it was when I bought it. it that's what happens sometimes with the people around us. But if in an effort to find relief from the sparks and the heat, the axe head is removed from the sharpening stone, it's gonna, is it going to be sharp anymore? It's going to be dull still, right? It will no longer be useful for the purpose for which it's designed. And I didn't have the proverb put up here, but there is a proverb that talks about, hey, if you use a dull axe, you're going to have to work harder. It's, it's in Proverbs somewhere. I can't remember the ref- reference. So when the axe is pulled away from the stone, it's not going to be useful for the purpose for which it was designed. This is from an article, another article I was reading, biblicalcounselingcenter.org, the same place we got our chart from. This is what the author wrote. This is a good way to close. Perseverance is clinging to Jesus with all our might and continuing to hang on as long as it takes to be victorious. Clinging on to Christ until you experience the victory. One more verse as we close. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, be steadfast. That's another word for perseverance. Taking a stand, no matter what comes, immovable, self-control. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, clinging on to Christ, just obeying it today and doing the thing in this moment that I know I'm supposed to do knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Say, man, I'm really struggling and I'm losing my encouragement or I'm struggling to move forward. God is saying to us, you're going to need to persevere by clinging on to Christ. You're going to need to realize that you're, you're in the waiting room for a purpose that you don't realize yet and God is working on you. You're You're being placed against the grinding stone and the sparks are flying and it's uncomfortable, but God is sharpening you and making you useful for his purpose. And so you need to stay there and be willing to endure that until God moves you to the next thing. One more comment, Mike. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. 
I'm glad you brought that up. This is not perseverance as in to get to heaven. Okay. Um, thank you for, for bringing that up. That's important because I, I don't want these words. And like you said, they're not inspired. This isn't God's word. But this is not talking about the perseverance that is used in the Calvinistic teachings that says you have to persevere to the end. We, we look to Christ for our salvation. We don't look to our works. We don't look to ourselves. We look to Christ and Christ alone. Yet we're called to persevere in the Christian life. And that's what our focus is. So, but thank you for, for bringing that up. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for um, giving us these commands of self-control. Lord, we've learned and seen from your word that is really the Spirit's control over us. So Lord, I pray that we go out today and reevaluate and begin the process of making sure that we're submitting to the Spirit's authority in everything, in every relationship that we have, in our media choices, in, in our uh, attitudes. Lord, please help us to submit to his authority so that we can experience self-control. And then, Lord, be with each one of us. Every person listening is fighting some kind of battle right now. Everyone is dealing with an issue, a heart issue. I just pray for each one of us, Lord, that you would help us to just cling to Christ, to just trust in him and be willing to persevere, be willing to wait when you've asked us to wait, be willing to be sharpened and be uh, put against the friction of this life and even other people so that we can be honed and sharpened and useful for what you have designed us for the purposes that you have planned. So Lord, just be with us. Help us to keep growing in our progressive sanctification. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.